Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a women's health trainer specializing in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. My aim is to inspire and educate through chats with women who are either working through their own movement journey or work to help women get stronger and recover both physically and mentally after having kids. I want to talk about what they do, how they integrate it into their family lives and essentially why. Because I believe when we share our stories and our values, we lift each other up, enabling every mother to fulfill her body's potential, gain confidence in her power and give her family the best version of her to share their lives with. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast. I am your host, Catherine Meadows, and today I have the great pleasure in being joined by nutritionist and nutritional therapist, Emma Ellis Flint, a former chef and now part of the team at Newson Health and on the Balance app, the online platform created by Dr. Louise Newson to help women navigate the ups and downs of perimenopause and menopause. As Dr. Newson says herself, not every woman will choose to take HRT to help them manage their menopause symptoms and not everyone will exercise, but we all need to eat, which is why it's so crucial that we think about what we're doing with our nutrition. So Emma, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to share this knowledge with our listeners today. Thank you. Hello, Catherine, and hello, everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I love sharing this too. I know, you're so enthusiastic, (laughs) which is just so wonderful. Now, I know you've recently returned from finally seeing your family in Australia again after this enforced time apart. So tell us a little bit more about your route into nutrition and how Australia became part of that, because you're not from Australia. No, no, yeah, exactly. I was born in the UK and I spent all my um, childhood and teenage years in the UK. It was when I was a young adult that I went and over to Australia just for a holiday, actually. Loved it, stayed, worked. At the time, I was working in food, but as a chef, I was cooking at different events and places and loving it, absolutely loving it. Loved food, absolutely loved food. But for me, also eating well kind of resonated back then. And I wasn't, you know, I was working and I was working hard. I was young. I was okay. But I wouldn't call myself vital back then. I I knew I just didn't have the energy that I could have. Just didn't think about it, though. And it was when I was heading, you know, in my late 30s and I thought, I cannot be standing up in front of these hot stoves all my life. You know, I've got to really think about what am I going to do? So I went and investigated doing a nutrition degree and I found one. I, I thought, you know what? I can't do this. I can't in my 40s. I cannot possibly go back to full-time study and do a degree. And it's just, no, nah, no. Nah. So, you know, right. Absolutely. And I had some kids still at home then and juggling bits and bobs, working part-time. And it was a friend who said, that is absolutely ridiculous, Emma. Like literally, she almost kind of uh, slapped me across the face and said, wake up. Of course you can do this. And look, I thought, yeah, all right. So I signed up, did it, started it. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. I was like a pig in mud. I learned all about what goes on inside your body, what happens to those nutrients you eat, Mm. how they affect you, what's, what's actually going on. It was fantastic. And that led me to setting up my clinic in Sydney. I saw women and a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause, and I really wanted to help them. And in fact, my degree, the education I learned was actually not very good about perimenopause and menopause. Surprise, surprise. And so I had to to learn this a lot myself, went looking for the research. It was okay. It was not I can't say there's masses, but it was okay. So I just learned through my clients and what foods made a difference. Mm. And it was when I heard about what Dr. Louise Newson and all the fabulous doctors who work alongside her were doing in the UK, I thought, you know what, I've always wanted to go back and live in the UK for a while, or if not for the rest of my life, it's now or never. I really want to join in with this movement. And I could have done it from Australia, 
And but I just really wanted to get right in into this with them all and and help support it. And so and, I and yeah, so you and so you moved back and with your husband as well. So yes. it, that was a major move. And and that was just fairly recently, a few years ago. Was that right? Yeah, it was. It was right at the end of 2018. And I left half my family in Australia, in Sydney. And my my husband and I came over here. My daughter, one daughter was already here. And that, and that was fine. We were all going to kind of be fairly global in our outlook and see each other quite frequently. And fantastic. Loved my work. Loved what's going on in the UK. Absolutely would never change anything about the last three years. But then the pandemic hit and I wasn't able to see my family in real life as in physically touch them. Yeah. The ones that were still in Sydney broke my heart. Mm. The tearful video calls we had were, oh gosh, at one point, yeah, I just couldn't do it anymore. I had to move yeah. back. But Australia closed down, you see. It, it created, you know, borders that were just not, no one could go in and out particularly. And you couldn't go back to visit and they couldn't come out. It was horrible. Yeah anyway mm. yeah and you managed to get back in over Christmas I did it amazing. was amazing the hugs those hugs mm. I've never experienced anything <laughs> like it they were the best hugs I've ever had in my own life it was brilliant Aww. yeah yeah so Thank wonderful you. yeah so what is your role as a nutritional therapist for this sector of women so do you assess and diagnose or is it like you mentioned with your clinic in Sydney that it's kind of learning through the women that you were that you're working with and you're kind of fact finding listening to what your clients talk about with their reactions to foods and things like that and sort of blending things and aiding supporting them as you go along where do you sit within that okay so in my one-to-one clinic consults I I find out that person in front of me, I find out uh, their history and how they're feeling. So now and in the past, I take actually a lot of notes and mm. find out what's going on for them. I don't diagnose, but often they come to me with either diagnosis or okay. certainly symptoms that add up, for me, add up to, I, I don't like to label up people. Yeah. I don't say, okay, you've got IBS or you've got histamine intolerance or, or I might know that they're in perimenopause but I don't even necessarily you know label them up because then they attach themselves to the label and that actually doesn't help the healing particularly often they've already been to see their GP about this and they found you know they've worked out anyway they're in perimenopause or clearly they'd know they were in menopause and and so I help them I really help them to change what they're eating and what they're drinking to try and improve the symptoms Mm. to try and improve the quality of their life to help them feel better because so many women have been like you kind of said about your chefing experience that so many women have been working hard building their careers kind of just really living and not really kind of thinking oh I'm sure lots of women have thought oh maybe this food doesn't quite suit me or something like that but there hasn't been a massive broad range of foods that you haven't been able to tolerate and and you can kind of get away with a lot of things as well I mean I remember in my 20s and and doing a lot of sport and then we'd go to the pub straight afterwards yeah. and we sort of have chips and <laughs> a few pints of beer and yeah. things and I'd be absolutely fine the next day and it didn't have any effect at all but so so it's almost like perimenopause is it, it, particularly if it happens relatively early is sort of the first time that you really have to you're faced with oh my right okay I really have to do something otherwise I'm going to have a horrible time of the next sort of 10 years or so and part of that might be HRT support or having an understanding that you're in perimenopause but food can make such a huge difference no not eating food that irritates you not eating food that exacerbates your symptoms and things yes that's right well most most of us I'm this sweeping statement but most of us just exist as when we're younger and rarely do we think about well hang on are these foods actually working hard for me Mm. are they making me feel better or are they in fact making me feel worse and we don't tend to challenge that I think we almost 
the, t the only time a woman might perhaps think about what she's eating is if she's trying to lose weight. And that's where she might reflect on what she's eating. And so that's a shame because food can actually really work hard mm. for a person, can really change um, how they feel, that vitality, that energy, and also that can really affect their mental health. But it's often we don't look at that um, until maybe the, the a person might come to see me for symptoms of gastrointestinal tract kind of issues, gut bloating, cramping, yeah. either quite severe constipation or really quite loose bowel movements. And this has been going on for a while and they just know it's not, it's, uh, you know, disturbing their life. Mm. But they might not have thought that I could also potentially help with their mental health that is in fact perhaps perhaps attached to this and also therefore their quality of sleep and it have to look holistically and I uh, as you know I'm a huge fan of HRT mm. I think it's wonderful I'm on HRT myself and but the thing is we don't you can't don't as as you mentioned right at the beginning you don't look at Louise said Dr Louise Newson so you don't look at I, HRT in isolation it's actually part of the whole the whole person their whole life the whole being and there and their well-being that term well-being yeah and in exercise and what you eat and what you drink yeah. and how you sleep and just really make up make up that kind of vitality that the person can have actually yeah. can be better than where they are right now and I think part of going towards menopause is it's that that change in life when you start to be able to kind of shed the stuff from the past and to be able to look towards that second half of your life and to be able to say right okay what what what's what's coming up like how can I make the best of this what what is this life for me now where am I who am I and food helps you to be able to or, or what you're putting into your body and how you're making the best of that helps you to be able to make it really something the best of that second half of your life rather than something where I, I I think it's this this golden opportunity to look internally at this point yeah this is it this is exactly it and I think that this is why I was so excited actually to work with the balance app because they've now got this balance plus section which is all about the well-being about exercise and food and things like that and it's very exciting to see this considered this I, I really sort of think about this circle this all like mm. this ball this orb and this is your life in there and and everything about your life you kind of your whole your energy and your, and your well-being and your and your, that mental health and how you optimistically think about life do you jump out of bed in the morning this is kind of like this is it and and in it are all those components we're talking about yeah um another great analogy actually it was my husband he's a psychotherapist and he taught me this about a chair and the le four legs of a chair and if one of the legs is is slightly balanced yeah. or wobbly then the whole chair is wobbly and and the legs of the chair could be exercise sleep food and kind of emotional health Mm. And if, if one of them's off, actually all the others are. For instance, if someone doesn't sleep that well, yeah, in perimenopause, their hormones are quite disrupted. Yeah. It disrupts their sleep. If they're not, for instance, um, taking the body identical HRT or managing it very well, their sleep's disrupted. Well, if your sleep's disrupted, then actually your food choices that, that following day Absolutely, are actually yeah. really disrupted as well. Mm. So that those two really impact. In fact, uh, as you probably know, that the drive to go and exercise is also disrupted if you haven't had a good night's sleep. And so it goes on. And then exercise affects sleep so well. And in fact, what you eat affects your sleep as well. Yes. And then all of that affects your mental health and your, uh, your yeah. emotional strength and also your interactions with people and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Ooh. And that's, that's, that's a great analogy, because it really does show how important it is that to have everything. And it's hard, because I think a lot of people might be listening and kind of going, God, I have so many plates spinning at the moment, oh, as it yeah. is, you know, what well, I also need to now take out whole food groups, just in order to make myself feel better, because of my damned hormones. And it's just one more thing and I hear that a lot from my clients that they're just like 
honestly, my husband, nothing, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in the last 20 years for him. Everything's going to be exactly the same. Now, I know that's not the same for all men and I'm not trying to say that, that, but I think that you get this (laughs) feeling that you're like, oh my gosh, not only am I also still having to deal with periods, I've had my kids for some of those women who have, and then you're having to deal with perimenopausal symptoms for goodness knows how long. And it seems like sort of one more thing on top of it but Mm. I mean I know from my experience so I started experiencing perimenopausal symptoms when I was 41 and I'm 43 now and I went on HRT just about a year ago now and at, at the time so so I only had a short time of perimenopausal symptoms but bear in mind the fact that I am in the industry and the world that I'm in so I'm very aware of symptoms I have lots of friends who work in women's health as well so the things that they talk about they're quite there in the front of my mind so when I started getting like you said about sleep um, disturbances they were really quite dramatic to me and the way that my mind was playing out whilst I was having sleepless nights I was like oh my goodness if I don't do something goodness knows what's going to happen. It it really felt quite dramatic to me in a very short amount of time. And thankfully, because I knew some people, I knew they directed me to who to go to, to a private GP who gave me the support that I needed, listened, did a long history with me. I did a Dutch test, which helped me to really, uh, us to really understand what was going on. And I got the HRT support and it's completely changed my life. But I feel like if I hadn't gone gone down that route and sort of really, you know, sunk right down in order to come back up, I wouldn't be able to be where I am today and, and to be able to exercise in the way that I am and to be able to see a future of um, still pushing, driving, excited by my career and excited by the future and things that were coming up rather than feeling like, oh, it's just going down and down and down and this sucks and there's nothing more I can do about it. So I think it's really important to remember how much difference you can make by investigating somebody with the right support of a a therapist like you or a private GP, if that's the route that you want to go down or both which would be ideal. And I think, I think it's really, I think as women, we do spend a lot of time dismissing our symptoms as Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. hormonal, like as if that's nothing, or just like we have to suffer them rather than going, this isn't right. I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, very, very much so. And for a lot of women, actually, the perimenopausal symptoms heading towards menopause are actually quite gradual. And so they keep Mm. putting up and adjusting their life a little bit and putting up and putting up with it and that's quite sad because they can end up being really quite not isolated exactly they they just kind of start shutting down a bit and become less social limiting yeah limiting seeing their friends less because and they don't just don't want to do that with things i have a few things to challenge you on some of the things you said okay so Okay, so first of all, men's testosterone does gradually reduce, It's called, but it is so gradual. It's not sort of as sudden as menopause. And so it does happen to them gradually. Yeah. Um, like that term grumpy old men is a, is a real thing. And that's <laughs> andropause. The other thing I wanted to challenge you on was um, taking out whole food groups. I never ever think anyone should take out whole food groups and it's not necessarily you don't need to do mm, it mm. and I think you're referring there probably to to do with perhaps weight balance and how women kind of just really try and address that that fat abdominal fat that comes on in perimenopause mm. by taking up maybe whole food groups like carbohydrates well say, I, th- I think see, I think yeah. the other thing is you know things like food intolerances why right. some women will be absolutely fine eating gluten or dairy or whatever it might be and then come to perimenopause and then you're like it's really not going down cheese just isn't the same any longer to me so why is it that food intolerances increase around this time okay so this is because the estrogen as estrogen 
goes down, then it affects the functioning of our gut and our gut microbes, as well as many other things around our body. Because there are estrogen receptors in our gut and also our gut microbes love estrogen just as much as us. Mm. And so that really starts upsetting that balance in our gastrointestinal tract. Plus estrogen is an anti-inflammatory hormone. And so as it, as it gets depleted and withdrawn from a, from a woman's body, then there's more inflammation. And this can affect lots of symptoms around our body and, our, and connected also to our mental health. And it can also affect the functioning of our gut. So the gut is not functioning as well. And yeah, this is a time where a person might have to look at what they're eating and find out are they doing that classic kind of Western style diet, which is is heavy on the, the white flour products, yeah. heavy on sugar, low on fiber, high on crap fats? And and it, are they eating like that or are, are they eating quite a nourishing, a nourishing diet? The one that really builds them up and builds up their gastrointestinal fat tract function and also the microbiome so so not necessarily about whole food groups it's just how is that gut functioning if it's inflamed it might get more irritated by perhaps by extra lactose or gluten or or even the extra histamine that comes with fermented foods like cheese may or may not it's very individual yeah but there's all these changes yeah yeah and I suppose so the great thing about working with somebody like you is helping to be able to kind of sift out all because it meals can be it can have so many different elements to them that you're like well I don't know which bit of that meal that I've just reacted yeah. to was the the problem so working with somebody like you helps to be able to delve into what exactly oh okay well it's actually not all cheese it's just this particular type of cheese or it's you're okay with whatever a, a particular yeah. type of uh, a grain rather than not all of them or yeah well there are I mean so let's try and drill down a little bit I mean there are like there's for instance there's masses of different grains and so there's a big big range to choose from in the UK anyway I don't know where everyone listening to this is from but in the UK generally wheat is the main grain that's used because it's cheapest mm. and so and and very available but actually it's just cheap that's why wheat is used these days and but there are hundreds masses of other grains you could use and so it depends what a person feels better with they might feel better with oats or rye or they might feel better with buckwheat I mean these are kind of I mean I'm clumping them in with grains but some of them aren't classically if right. you were a okay. botanist or something you wouldn't call it buckwheat a grain but that's it works as a grain like as yeah. we think about it like as a flower and then there's even um flowers made from legumes there's chickpea flour for instance and then you can even have flowers made from seeds or nuts like oat uh, sorry almond flour or mm. um sesame seed and sunflower flour uh, sorry fla flour flour we can think outside the box you've got millet that's another one as well millet flour and amaranth and yeah they're, they're all just great grains they're fantastic and they all have nutrients in them if you if you manage to have them whole so they're not refined down like white flour is refined right down and, and it doesn't have the nutrients in it anymore that are beneficial and that's why it has to have them put back in the vitamins yeah. are actually put back into white flour and so you want to just get the whole grain and use that so they're great they're fantastic um so you find what what suits you and what you feel best with and mm. that's the same with dairy dairy most people can actually tolerate dairy it may be the lactose in dairy they can't tolerate but there's plenty of companies that now produce lactose-free dairy so that's great or then there's the fermentation side of dairy where some people can't tolerate the, the ferment fermentation yeah. of dairy which is because the histamines are elevated and that's not many people actually although it can be a woman can be more susceptible to it in perimenopause because the, the gastrointestinal tract ta is takes this kind of upheaval kind of stage and the way it detoxifies away histamine might be reduced it's like ability to be able to do that or in fact 
the person's eating more histamine foods or drinking more wine, say, or coffee, which is really high in histamine. And yeah. that's why the changes start to jump. So yeah. you, I mean, you mentioned wine there, and I know that's one of the things that various of my clients are quite sad about not being able to have a lovely glass of wine sociably with dinner or in the evening or something in the same way as they would do any longer. So is it now, it feels, it definitely feels to me like it's a thing of the past, but why is that? Do we have to give it up forever? Is it once you have to give it up, it's done? I think this is, this is important actually to talk about. I think this is a cultural thing as well. Mm. So if you go to different countries in the world, then having a alcoholic drink with a meal is not, not usual unless that they're socializing and socializing doesn't mean say your partner or something like that that means kind of probably being out or having friends yeah being with friends and and it's not usually drink alcohol otherwise other places you might look at say the Mediterranean where culturally having a glass of say red wine with a meal is 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 fairly typical but it's a glass of red wine with a meal it's not several glasses or not or not a couple of glasses of wine before the meal because I feel so terrible, you know, because <laughs> I've had such a horrible better. day. Yes. Right, right. And this is going to make me feel better. So this is the this is the cultural side of mm. this and the socioeconomic side of this, because alcohol for a lot of people in the world is quite expensive. Yeah. And it's can a person actually afford it ultimately? And a lot of people, in fact, globally can't afford to drink alcohol every day, especially wine, something like that. And then so then we come down to, though, in culturally, say, in the UK, it has become more common. You, you look back into when... I'm trying to think just those years after the war, say a lot of people just didn't drink alcohol. If they did, it was only socially. They didn't drink Mm. it at home. And then but culturally now it is a lot more common to drink more alcohol and more frequently. I look at my kids, actually, in the way they treat alcohol and their their thinking is changing rapidly about it. And in fact, they don't drink alcohol unless they're socializing. And and some of them, a couple of my kids are choosing not to drink masses either because they just don't like the effect the next day. Mm. And and so they're they're changing their cultural kind of view on alcohol. Now in perimenopause, often a person can feel crappier. That's a really technical term, I know. (laughs) I think I think everyone would be like, yes. Okay. And, and we humans tend to reach for something that will just prop us up a bit, make us feel a bit better. And often that could be a sugary food, or it could be an alcohol drink or something like that. Mm. Um, If we're lacking in energy, say in the morning, it could be like a caffeine type drink, Mm. these kind of drugs to prop us up. And that's how it kind of creeps in. And, and we've, might say to ourselves oh you know I just want to really feel really relaxed mm. at the end of the day I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have this glass of wine I'm just I'm just going to have it or this gin and tonic or this vodka and soda or what, whatever alcoholic drink it is and and it kind of helps to relax a person and it and then it just increases it's just that habit yes comes in all the time but what's in alcohol alcohol's got a lot of sugar in it a lot of sugar it's also got ethanol in it and ethanol really damages not damages permanently but disrupts is a better term disrupts the function of the gut and the lining of the gut Mm. and you know how I was talking about with the lack of estrogen your gut gets quite disrupted gets more more inflammation well alcohol the ethanol actually creates even more of this kind of toxicity in there so it doesn't help that situation yeah so cheery right (laughs) (laughs) hi movement fans sorry to interrupt your listening today i hope you're enjoying the episode if you are i would love it if you could leave a review if you're listening on apple podcasts right now if you're on your mobile on the app click on the icon with this podcast image scroll right to the bottom where you see the ratings and reviews section. Tap the number of stars you want to give. My suggestion would be five. And then click the write a review link at the bottom. It literally takes one minute and makes a huge difference in how iTunes shows this podcast to others who are searching amongst all the thousands of brilliant shows that there are out there. 
Thank you so much for choosing this podcast and taking the time to review. It really does mean the world to me and I am hugely grateful. Okay, let's get on with the show. And I suppose, so so when it comes to, we're talking about perimenopause and the sort of that buildup of symptoms or that, that bringing in that introduction of symptoms, as, as we get to menopause and the actual and menopause clinically is really just a day that is an entire year past your last period and then beyond that you're post-menopausal so do all of these symptoms and these food intolerances and things like that do they just go have that will have they just disappeared by the time we get to post-menopausal and we can then have more choice about what we eat and it really depends on how that person has managed their perimenopause okay and and if their guts become quite upset or disrupted during it it may continue on the the habit of perhaps over overeating the wrong foods or um, drinking Mm. a lot of alcohol may have set in it really depends on the individual have they uh, have they kept exercising Uh, and how's their sleep that all affects kind of their food choices and how their gut is functioning that inflammation I'm talking about which increases as we age anyway needs to be supported and got rid of and that anti-inflammatory situation kind of really tempered and and supported because inflammation in our body really affects our mental health as well as our physical health and it for instance if there's inflammation in the body we're more likely to put down fat abdominal fat and so I mean there's many reasons why a woman puts on weight in perimenopause they're kind of like lots of different reasons but one is the inflammation that's going on it's more likely to lead to fat deposits and also the disruption in our gut microbiome can lead to more likelihood of putting down fat deposits and we might be lacking in muscle mass or our muscle mass is reducing as we head into perimenopause and then if we don't exercise because we just don't feel motivated Mm. to do it that's also going to affect our metabolism and means that we're likely to put on more fat deposits around our abdomen yeah so so looking after yourself in the early perimenopausal years not only helps you to be able to manage the remaining amount of perimenopause and uh, menopause but it means that you might be helping yourself to live a more comfortable more free to to sort of choose and and live healthily post-menopausal years and for the rest of your life which most definitely I talk to a lot of my clients quite a lot about this about what is our big value with wanting to move well and wanting to to get good pelvic floor uh, support and good pelvic floor health and sometimes it's a short-term thing like I just want to be able to run or something like that but I have clients I have had clients in their 70s and 80s who for them their most important thing is to continue living at home independently so that they're their kids aren't tempted to ship them off to a nursing home because we know that when it comes to pelvic floor symptoms that the number one cause of women being referred to uh, or sent into a nursing home is due to incontinence but that is like like all of the other things we've been talking about is really multifactorial the amount of Mm. uh, movement that you do how well you sleep your gut inflammation and any sort of imbalances in there they also affect your pelvic floor and also your bowel health as well as estrogen exactly so all of these things if Mm. we're looking really forward thinking towards okay what do you want to how do you want to feel right now that's really important but also how do you want to feel when you're 70 80 90 how independent and free and able to make all the decisions that you want for yourself that that that's really important to me and it's I think it's important for all of us to be able to keep that in sight as well yeah yeah lovely love that thanks that's really great Catherine because really longevity goes hand in hand when a person starts to think about that can I make a few changes to manage this perimenopause and menopause better? Even a few, just a little. And we'll go into some specifics actually pretty soon because I don't want everyone to think that it's a too hard basket. But yeah, to think about longevity, it really matters. It really makes a difference to reduce the inflammation that is gradually building up through the stage and will gradually continue 
being elevated in your body if you don't kind of do things to reduce it uh, some that pelvic floor especially I mean you know all about it I know constipation really affects that and that makes a difference estrogen of course is fantastic for managing that as well as exercise the right sort of exercise I love that on the balance app actually going back to it briefly they've now got this um really amazing symptom questionnaire really detailed one mm. that a person can fill out about their symptoms then then literally print this off and take it to their gp and in fact this doesn't have to be a private gp because this is such yes. a comprehensive like medical document that someone's just filled in the gp gets it they understand and the nhs gp can prescribe hrt both the the vaginal estrogen which really helps with that pelvic floor and the incontinence and but also the transdermal estrogen this the safe uh, modern body identical estrogen and that comes from an nhs gp it doesn't even have to be private because if you've got that exactly that report from the balance app then they can see it and then they go yeah okay I can see that you need this this is yeah fine. and and I think going in with yeah. those, those facts makes a massive difference and and yeah. often we're also at the time of brain fog and not quite being right. able to remember things and things. Right. so you sort of go in going I feel terrible can yeah. you tell me some more about that I, I don't really know I just yeah. you know you just like I, I it's I not funny bad it's not for funny, some actually. time yeah. but I can't it's, remember when yeah. and what and yeah. the GP is trying to uncover some things but the more facts that you can go on in with the the better their yeah. picture they can have for you okay so uh, we, we've talked to, you, you've mentioned a few times about histamine intolerance so I'd love to go back to that because I know you've told me that before that not many women it's not lots of women who suffer from this alongside perimenopause I had never heard of histamine in foods before delving into things a little bit more once someone mentioned something about avocados and bananas and how uh, some people can't tolerate it and of course everybody tells you oh avocados are so great you need to eat the good fats mm. and things like that and I was like mm. I don't know I just feel I feel awful after eating mm. avocados and I don't know why and then I realized it was the same sort of feeling after having bananas and uh, a couple of other things. And then when I looked at it some more, I was like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. That, it's after that yeah. and that as well. So so now I'm following your low histamine cookbook, which is brilliant. And so I'm sure there will be other women listening who have no idea what histamine intolerance might be and yeah. are maybe also wondering if they're reacting to the foods that, of course, everyone seems to be advising them to eat, like fermented foods as well the gut health and things we know that that's so incredibly important but actually that's one of the foods that is advised against in low histamine it, with histamine intolerance absolutely it is okay let's pull back then histamine intolerance is where histamine coming into the body from foods and drinks are not detoxified away very well and then there's histamine naturally made in our bodies just through reactions key example a lot of people might know about is like hay fever yeah. histamines released in the body when someone has a, like a hay fever kind of attack and so that's histamine and the body just needs to detoxify it away and in the gastrointestinal tract for example is it's detoxified away with um, an enzyme called diamine oxidase dao is usually shortened to and that's important and a lot of people have plenty of DAO in their gastrointestinal tract and can manage to detoxify away histamine. But when we have this kind of disruption period in perimenopause, some, some people find that they get, they, there's a number of factors actually. They just find that the, maybe the DAO is reduced in the, or their body's ability to detoxify away histamine might be reduced. They may be even eating or drinking more histamine. As I mentioned before, mm, coffee, coffee and, and alcohol, tea and, and alcohol yeah. yeah, is really high histamine. And they may be having more of that, which they never had before. I've got a story about that. Let me tell you about that in a minute. And, and then you've got genetics. They have may be susceptible to having lower DAO enzyme just simply because of their genetics, but they've managed it in the past. It's never really kind of been an issue until they've got into perimenopause. And so, and then when there's more inflammation in the gut, there's there's less ability generally to detoxify away um, sort of irritants. Mm. And 
And there's stress. Stress also increases histamine and also sometimes often reduces the ability to detoxify away the kind of like the histamine. And stress can really come on in perimenopause. It can come on because perimenopause and this kind of this topsy-turvy kind of hormone imbalance and then the gradual pulling away like reducing of estrogen is stressful for our bodies Mm. and add to that what mentally we might feel more stressed as well because of the perimenopause and so in fact our stress physical stress might get exacerbated by kind of our mental stress and then we've got the external stresses of life which often that that time of life now it depends when someone's in you know the age group they're in perimenopause but in fact it could be quite a stressful time externally for them other things going on to do with jobs and kids and partners and and elderly parents or something like that mm, yes. uh, that they that it, it creates a stress or, or a pandemic because uh-huh. mine hit at the same time as the homeschooling, lockdown, right. things like that. Right. And it did make me wonder after I sort of started HRT and then started talking to other people about it locally. I thought, I wonder how many other women have had their perimenopausal symptoms exacerbated by the oh. situation that we've no been doubt. in, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Those lockdowns were a killer mm. um, for a lot of people. Well, actually for everyone. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, very much. Absolutely. And so histamine has to be detoxified out of the body. And this is can be hard sometimes. Like if someone has, um, let's talk about some of the symptoms they might know. And the problem with these symptoms is they completely cross over. Absolutely. Perimenopause. Yeah. So how do you know if this is because of perimenopause or because of histamine or in fact a bit of both? But the symptoms are things like in the past, someone might know anyway, they might have had hay fever, but not always, but might have. Or they often knew if they had an insect bite, it would just really blow up quite mm. a bit. Or they might have had hives or itchy skin. Or now they have, they have really itchy skin and hives. They might have dry eyes. But as I say, these are also perimenopause symptoms as well. Gastrointestinal issues go hand in hand with histamine intolerance, but also they go hand in hand with perimenopause with some people, in fact, quite a lot of people. And so what's going on there? I don't know which is causing it. Um, other things are headaches, migraines, that can be histamine and or perimenopause. And then you've got cl- you know, foggy head, inability to kind of think that, ooh, clearly, and that can be both, uh, one or the other or both. And so th- these are some of the, the, the symptoms you get with histamine intolerance. Sometimes you kind of get skin rashes as well, or even breakouts and things like that, not just on your face, actually on your body. And so how do you uncover whether or not it's just and just perimenopause, but uh, how do you uncover whether it's just perimenopause or if it's histamine intolerance, presumably by reducing some foods and uh, that are high histamine and seeing whether or not that reduces your reaction? So the absolute gold standard is to have somebody follow a low histamine food and drink diet for four weeks and see if they feel better if they feel better it's really helpful if they keep a a symptom diary like so what what right from the day one what they've eaten what they've drunk and what their symptoms are and be as detailed as possible with their symptoms all Mm. random feelings of symptoms and quality of sleep and and just feelings of energy and just everything just shut it down and then after four weeks reflect back and see how all those symptoms have changed um, assuming nothing else has changed externally for them or they haven't yeah. just halfway through started a low dose of hrt or something yeah. because that's going to really complicate the picture and there is a blood test that can be done but it's really inaccurate so i'm just not even going down that track right. i have people who are in clinic who are absolutely histamine intolerant but the blood test has come back saying they're not and i'm going i mean this is just <laughs> ridiculous and so and and this is apparently the blood test is not that accurate so what can someone do about it they think this is me well yeah like you said download my low histamine cookbook in fact which i i have with me all the time all printed out and i'm constantly making stuff in fact i i had just had lunch with a couple of um slices of the oat 
flour soda bread. Oh, fantastic. Yes, that's really, really good. like. I mean, oh my gosh. I, I, I'm sure I didn't do a particularly good job of making it. So I'm definitely not going to show anybody what it looks like, but it tastes <laughs> delicious. <laughs> so yeah. that's fine. I mean, that's great. I mean, it's not a really pretty loaf because it's a soda bread. Yeah. But it. But it I love works. a soda bread anyway, but yeah. not having the dairy in it that you would normally have in it. Yeah. yeah it, but, it, but yeah, you're right. It just, it works. And for yeah, me, functions. my symptoms were more the gastrointestinal symptoms. So I would right. get more like a f- feelings of reflux sort of like constant wasn't burping actual like burp if you had something fizzy it was more just air was just coming yeah. up and it just yeah and just having to constantly sort of but get get the air back out and of course also flatulence the other way at the same at the same time but I also used to get a feeling of kind of like inflammation everywhere so I mentioned to you on the phone that I have difficulty breathing through my nose because I have a deviated septum so I'm fairly sensitive to whether or not I can breathe well and I don't have any hay fever I don't have any issues like if I get a sting or something like that I don't have a big reaction so that's not something that I would think oh I have a, a an issue with histamine anyway but because of the breathing issues if I if it even tips me slightly over the edge it means I'm incredibly uncomfortable trying to breathe through my nose I have to breathe through my mouth which I isn't we all know it's not very good for you but then I'd notice that some things would make that worse and some things wouldn't so gluten was one I, I don't really in fact I haven't eaten any gluten really since my son was born nine years ago but that just happened to be something so if I if I happened to have some because I wasn't like a hundred percent strict about it because I'm not allergic to it if I did I knew that I'd straight away that my you know breathing would go but then I also felt sort of generally uncomfortable it's almost like that inflammation was everywhere else as well and all of a sudden the clothes that I was wearing I was like oh god I really need to get into my pajamas and then I kind of thought is that just me being kind of a bit lazy and wanting to be in my pajamas at seven o'clock at night and actually no it's not because now having been on the low histamine diet for a couple of weeks I've been comfortable after every meal which I have almost never had before I've been and and I think like you mentioned something before it's symptoms that you kind of get used to there are things that I'm like oh, actually, I didn't realise that I could always feel comfortable after eating porridge if I didn't put nut butters in it. Yeah. I'm right. sad about that it's... because I love nut butters. Well, <laughs> but um, my body on... does not like <laughs> Online, you can buy, it's expensive, unfortunately, but online you can buy macadamia butter and you can buy pistachio butter and... Flour, seed. it's No, called. sunflower oh, no, is not sunflower, no. But uh, pumpkin yeah. seed butter. But the thing is, for people listening, not all of them, well, mo- lot, most of them are not going to be histamine intolerance, but they do want to have a look at what they're eating and if there's anything they're eating that does seem to bloat them out yeah. and what is that and perhaps pull back a bit on that and see if they can just feel better so it's it's quite important to just have a look at what you're eating and mm. and what you know do you end up at the end of a day always with bloating and un- uncomfortable unnecessarily uncomfortable. and actually yeah. you don't need to because okay so now yeah. if we talk about gut health because Obviously, the symptoms of gut health can be really similar to that, that bloating, yeah. flatulence, burping, feeling, you know, general sort of cramping, reflux. inflammation, things like yep. that. Yep. And it's been a major topic for a good few years. Lots of us all know about, about gut health and eating fermented food and things like that. And the science is absolutely there about the connection between gut health and overall well-being. So, so when we're talking about potential of looking at whether or not our gut is so healthy, are those the major signs that we should we should be looking for? Is directly yeah. from yeah, our absolutely, GI tract. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I used to have gut bloating every night. I'd have bouts of loose bowel movements, and then they'd go away for a few months, and then they'd come back, and I just ignored it. It was when I did my nutrition degree, I kind of thought. Well, hang on, I'm one of those people they're yeah. talking about on this in this lecture. And so I changed what I was eating and found what suited me and things like that and healed up my gut. And I ha- I never get, uh, well, almost never get gut bloating. And I have a flat stomach and, and it's just normal for me now. My bowel movements are normal, which yeah. for me is, is, every, is once every day. There's a big range of normal. And 
I didn't know that that was doable. I thought I was always going to have a bit of bloating and things like that. Yeah. So it, so it is, we don't just really challenge yourself, you and, and everyone listening. Yeah. How, how is everything going for you? How is it all functioning? Is it okay? Has it always not been really that okay? Or is this a recent thing, you know, in the last few years and maybe it's, gone with hormonal changes as well got changed I don't know and have a look at what you're eating and see whether you can bring a few things in that are going to really nourish your gut and nourish your gut microbiome and so, so let's talk about that yeah sorry yes, yes. no is is so is, is gut health one of the major things that we should be looking at for helping to ma- manage perimenopausal symptoms from from a nutrition perspective a hundred percent I go to the gut and what what are you feeding yourself what's going in how is that working and it, absolutely you want to get as much brilliant nutrition as you can going in all those lovely nutrients and support your gut health support support your gut microbiome because actually you will feel much better physically and mentally yeah. I always think one of the best things that science could now produce please is uh, <laughs> an excellent test where you could almost get like you know like with your credit score you sort of have it out of a thousand or out yeah. of a hundred or something like that so that you could do a test and you could be like all oh, right my gut health is 50 out of 100 I really need to do a lot more to to help balance those microbiomes and the different types of bacteria okay retest great it's now 90 out of 100 and you can tell but it's it's so hidden and yes you can you can feel the sort of symptoms and things like that but you could spend all your time sort of eating things that are great for your gut health but you because you don't really know whether or not it's it's getting you uh, into exactly the right zone that you want to be in for great gut health. I think if somebody please produce an excellent test for gut health, I think that would be really good. Well, yes, and I think some fair few scientists are working on that, trying to isolate different beneficial uh, mm. uh, bacteria and yeast and other actual microorganisms in the gut and pinpoint these ones are great for the health. And so they look at a stool analysis and they say, okay, yes, you know, if you've got a good level of X, Y, Z, you should be doing well. But really and truthfully, it comes down to how are you feeling? How is it all functioning? And do you feel like you have plenty of energy to get through the day yeah. are you really is your is your life do you have quality of life are you feeling really engaged in your life how's your mental health that's what we want so yeah sure we can have a test but it's you it's how are you feeling yeah. you know you, you know how oh, optimistic are you about the day ahead the week ahead the year ahead your life yeah yeah, that's yeah. a really good point because I, I know that the and I'm sure we all do that the gut health is is really directly connected with our brain health. And so our mental yes. health support can start in our gut. And if we're stressed and anxious, that can have a negative consequence within our gut as well. There is this sort of two way connection. So yeah. what you just said there was such a lovely way of thinking about actually how if I am feeling down and pessimistic and not feeling motivated and excited about the future and things like that, that actually could be a very internal reason mm. for, for why that could be down to our gut. Yeah, no, it could be. Absolutely. Now, I think along those lines because of my work, but of course, there's many other avenues we can, you know, and we've talked about it already, exercise and sleep and yeah. HRT, for instance, yeah. all affect this massively. Exercise, for instance, massages your gastrointestinal tract. Mm. And that's really great for peristalsis. Peristalsis is, a, is the movement literally of food through your gastrointestinal tract. Well, Emma, thank you so much for sharing your time to me today. It's an absolute pleasure to talk food. As you can tell, it's kind of something that I'm quite into and obsessed with anyway. But also talking about it in relation to well-being, apart from it being in this very incredibly important time of perimenopause and menopause, but also when we think about the wider world and the implications of where we are in the wider world in this really crucial time of life with the pandemic and the outfall of that and things I think being able to support ourselves to be the best that we can be right now so that we can share 
our best with everybody around us and all the ripple effects of that 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 would have as we go out I think centering that on food nourishment well-being is that that's an absolute keystone to to everything that we're capable of being able to do from now on so thank you for all you've done to help support women through their journeys as well yes thank you thanks very much